Hello, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Technology Now, a weekly show from Hewlett Packard Enterprise where we take what's happening in the world around us and explore how it's changing the way organizations are using technology. We're your lovely hosts, Aubrey Lovell and Michael Bird. And in this episode, we're doing something rather special. Now, usually we'd book in a guest to talk about a topic, but this week, the guest kind of is the topic because. A short while back, I had a very, very special chance to head to sunny Milton Keynes here in the UK, which of course would be cause enough for a celebration on its own. But I went there to visit Oracle Red Bull Racing CEO and team principal Christian Horner, whose team, of course, won both the Formula One Drivers and Constructors Championships this year. Now, when I spoke to him, we discussed all things strategy, data, and what other organizations can learn from the way that F1 does things. So it does mean our format will be slightly different this time around. However, if you are still the kind of person who needs to know why what's going on in the world matters to your organization, then this podcast is for you. And of course, if you're enjoying it, do make sure you subscribe on your podcast app of choice so you don't miss out. Right, this feels very relevant. Let's start the engines. Okay, so today we are talking all things Formula One, the highest class of international racing for open wheel, single seater formula racing cars. And Michael, I know you are a huge super fan of F1, and this interview between you and Christian must have been like on your bucket list. What was it like? It was pretty incredible. I was a bit nervous beforehand, and I had to sort of tell myself, don't just sit there with your mouth (laughs) open, uh, starstruck for the whole time, because it was a little bit like meeting one of my heroes. I've been watching Formula One probably for about 20 years or so since from when I was a child. And Christian has been a big part of that. He he joined the sport, I think, in 2005. And he's very, he's always on television. He's always there. He's a big part of the team. So it was amazing to be able to speak to somebody who's such a big part of the sport that I, I absolutely love. So yeah, it was incredible. It was such a cool experience. Well, I know we can't wait to hear it. So I think what we're going to do is roll this interview into two segments. And in between that, we're going to have our beloved book club with our listeners. So really, all that's left to do is say, wave that green flag. Let's do this. Hello, hello. Hi. How are we? Very good, thanks. How are you? Very good. Christian. I'm Michael. So I started the interview by asking Christian what exactly his role in the team is. Well, from Monday to Friday, I'm the CEO of a high technology business running on a campus here that incorporates um, effectively three different businesses. There's Red Bull Racing Formula One team, there's Red Bull Powertrains, which is gearing up for entry in 2026, um, and Red Bull Advanced Technologies, which is taking Formula One know-how and applying to commercial projects. So uh, Monday to Friday, I'm doing that, and then at 22 weekends of the year, I'm the team principal of a high-performing sports team uh, at 22 different Grand Prix around the world. So yeah, I wear several different hats. It's full on, it's a lot of pressure, it's a lot of travel, it's a lot of time away from home, but um, uh, it's something that I've always done and always enjoy doing. Yeah, I was going to say, that must, that sounds pretty exhausting, quite full on. <laughs> yeah. How do you make time for everything? <laughs> well, I think you've just got to be disciplined with your time. It's about managing your time effectively and efficiently and uh, having good people around you, delegating, because you mm. can't do everything. And uh, you know, being focusing on the things that you can control rather than the things that you can't. Super. What is the process for putting together a championship winning strategy? Well, the key thing is making sure that all departments and uh, all personnel within those departments know exactly what their goals and objectives are. And it's working as one collective group, as one team, 
where every department relies on uh, each other mm. and working as a collective where obviously the common aspect is the car itself um, and to ensure that as that common component that as a team we're doing our very best to present ourselves in the best possible way weekend after weekend. Yeah. So how to ensure that the whole team shares a strategic vision and understands what their role is? Within it? Is it like all about culture? I think culture is a key element and it's having um, you know, clear goals, clear objectives, clear targets um, and a can-do attitude. And you know, Formula One is the, one of the biggest team sports in the world. We're up against some massive opponents and competitors. And it's about working as a collective to take on um, you know, some of the biggest OEMs in the world yeah. as a subsidiary of an energy drinks company. Um, <laughs> and it demonstrates that anything is, anything is possible. Yeah. So how do you square the needs of the business against what, what the end strategic goal is? Presumably there can sometimes be a bit of a disconnect between those. Well, I think it's just a matter of aligning them. I mean, obviously it's a matter of a question of, of wanting to win. That's yeah. what the goals are. And of course you've then got to do it within the regulations. Um, it's a matter of making sure that the shareholders are happy, uh, that the numbers are looking right, that commercial revenues are, are strong, that we have the right technical partners, the right um, operational partners, and that we have the right people in the right roles. So is winning the race the most important thing? I.e. if you have to make a business decision or a race decision, which one comes first? Well, of course, you know, we're here as a race team, so it's all about winning on track. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you win on track, there's that old adage, you know, win on Sunday, sell on Monday. So, um, <laughs> you know, that's very much the way that we focus on that yeah. it's about it's about the championship. It's not just about an individual race. So sometimes yeah. you've got to take a strategic view over the over perhaps a race weekend to because it's the bigger picture. It's the longer game. Yeah. It's the marathon rather than the sprint that you're interested in. I think strategy has been something that you guys have done really well this year, isn't it? Something that yeah. I think is, has won races. I suppose some people just think fast car, go around the track really quickly, job done. But strategy is such an important part. Isn't there it? is. A, yeah, strategy plays a key role. There's a huge amount of analysis, amount of yeah. you know, preparation that goes into a Grand Prix of looking at all the permeables. And then, of course, we use a huge amount of data during a Grand Prix that we're really? processing and looking at different algorithms um, and gaming um, scenarios to say, mm -hmm. okay, what is the quickest route to the end of a race? Is it a one-stop? Is it a two-stop? What happens if the safety car comes out? Strategically, how is it best that we play both yeah. of our cars? So you're constantly looking at that, at that gaming scenario. And uh, it's a matter of using your experience and not being afraid to blindly follow the numbers, but challenge the numbers as well and use your experience. How do you make sure that you, you're always staying ahead? I, and I say that because I know that there's been some regulation changes recently. You know, the rules basically constantly changing. How, yeah. how, how do you make sure that actually you're just able to keep on top of that? I think you, you can never be satisfied. It's never mm. enough. Even when you win a race, you're still learning and you've yeah. got to be analytical of your own performance. You've got to be um, critical of all aspects of performance. And so yeah. it's, it's never enough. <laughs> and it's that fear of failure that drives on the motivation to continue to succeed. And winning is like a, an addiction. <laughs> and, and once you've sampled it, you know, you don't, you don't want to let that feeling go. And, um, you know, that exists throughout, throughout the organization. I guess a lot of the converse, like how, how do you deal with defeat? Because I suppose unlike many other businesses, 
like defeat or winning is is such a public thing and it's such yeah. a thing that I'm, I'm i don't know does it permeate across the whole organization when you come back from a race and you've won and everyone's buzzing and maybe is the is, is the opposite true when maybe you've lost a race that you probably should have won like no absolutely and you feel that within the organization yeah. i think that you know, you learn as much on the days that you lose a race and the days that yeah. you win a, win a race. And it's applying those lessons. And of course, um, you can't win every Grand Prix. Mm. And I think it's a matter of if it doesn't hurt when you lose, then it doesn't mean enough. And I think that <laughs> you have to just use that. You have to turn it into a positive energy yeah. to apply the lessons from whatever's gone wrong and apply them to the next race. Fair enough. What do you think other businesses can learn from the way that Red Bull Racing does things. I think there's so many analogies between what we do in, in preparation for a Grand Prix and how we operate as a business with other, you know, industries. So uh, and businesses. So of course we're very public in what we do and it's very fast moving. Um, but I think that the way that we address and, and tackle problems, we deal with challenges, whether it's through the regulator with regular rules and regulations, mm. how we interpret those rules, how we apply those rules how we react, the speed of change, not being afraid to reverse a decision if it's the wrong decision, rather than blindly following uh, you know, down a blind alley. So it's being agile and nimble and reacting yeah. to the circumstance and, and the regulations that you're faced with. Yeah, and I guess being nimble and react, not just over like a week or over a month, it's like, you know, yeah. in an instant on a race Absolutely, day. and sometimes it's got to be instinctive and you've, you've got to follow your instinct. Yeah. Wow, that was such an interesting uh, segment and really, really interesting guy. We'll have to have Christian back for part two in a couple of minutes. But in the meantime, Michael, you know, what do you love about F1? Like, what's your top three things that you absolutely love about the sport? Okay, number one is that the sport is constantly innovating. So they're basically building these like prototype cars and they're racing them in around what, 24 weeks of the year. And every race, the car is subtly different, sometimes really different. And they're constantly having to develop, constantly having to develop to keep up either with their competitors or get ahead of their competitors. So I love that. And I love the sort of really nerdiness of Formula One. It plays to my very nerdy sensibilities. The second thing is all the personalities, all the different drivers, all the team principals like Christian. You get to know them. You know, some of them are really happy to chat some of them are quite quiet and they just you just get all these personalities it's a little bit like a soap opera but um they race cars and the third thing i think is this like incremental gains the margins that you were talking about here in formula one are just so small in qualifying what they do before the race to decide who's where everyone starts on the grid for the race sometimes like a second is what is the difference between first and last on the grid yeah those are probably the three things i'm sure there's more about it the, the noise, they're quite loud. <laughs> they look quite cool. There's probably other things. That's amazing. I think you you nailed it right on the head in the interview when you said, you know, some people may look at it as just cars going across the track, but people don't realize all the levels of technology, the skill, you know, the talent that goes into this for making those machines and, and the cars running perfectly. So pretty incredible. All right, next up, it's down to you, our audience. We open the floor for you to give your recommendations on books which have changed the way you look at the world, life, and business in the last 12 months. They could be technology-based, have changed the way you work, or they could have just made you look at the world in a totally different way. If you want to share your recommendations, there's a link in the podcast description. Just record a voice note on your phone and pop it in.
My name is Oksana Simonova, and uh, I am project manager of Rebuild UA project. Recently, I've been reading a book called Give and Take by Adam Grant. And the main idea of this book is that you don't always have to focus on your profit and be a taker to be successful, but to be a giver is a more efficient model, especially for companies that provide services and long-term projects. And uh, I think that this approach is very close to my values and the values of our team. Thanks so much. And do keep your suggestions coming in via the link in the podcast description. Right. Let's get back to the interview and find out a little bit more about Christian's personal side. I'd love to ask you about a book. Is there a book that you've read this year that you think? I'm just trying to think, is there a book that I've read this year? I mean, there's the FIA rule book that probably has the (laughs) biggest impact uh, on my my year. Um, You know, recently I like um, biographies and autobiographies, particularly of people within sport. So, um, you know, I'm always a sucker for that. What biographies have you read? Alex Ferguson's, you know, it was a, uh, a fascinating read. It's always interesting to look at other people's journeys. Can you talk a little bit about your your journey for you getting to where you are today, to becoming, as you said, the the CEO of this massive racing team? What was your journey to get here? Well, my journey, um, I started off my life as a, as a driver. Um, that was my ambition. That was my target. I started racing in, in karts. I raced against um, Max Verstappen's mum really? uh, at the age of 13. Um, so, and I progressed. I won a scholarship to move from karting to racing cars. That scholarship was with Renault at the time. And then I progressed through the ranks of Formula Renault, Formula 3, to what is now Formula 2. Uh, it was called Formula 3000 at the time. And it was at that stage that obviously the commercial demands of the sport and the sponsorship required uh, was just getting ever bigger and bigger. So um, rather than going racing for a team, I decided to set up my own team because it was the most cost-effective way of going racing. And uh, having set the team up and driven it for it for a year, I decided that it was time um, that my my talent behind the wheel was somewhat limited, but I didn't want to get a proper job. Um, and having grown <laughs> up in the sport, I decided to try and apply the knowledge of having driven for good teams and not so good teams uh, to try and build the team in a way that I would have liked to have driven for a team. And it was, all, again, always all about the people. Yeah. And was there a moment when you were driving when you thought, actually, I'd, actually, I'd much rather run a team? Was there anything in particular? Well, there was a there was a couple of things. I mean, because when I first set up the team in 1997, I was doing the VAT returns, I was booking the hotels, <laughs> I was doing the payroll, uh, I was doing all the invoicing, um, I was washing the truck. You know, you were jack of all trades. And um, then it was like, oh, crikey, you've got to get in the car and, and, and drive it now. And um, quite frankly, I just wasn't at the same level as some of my my peers at that stage and I was racing against the likes of Juan Pablo Montoya and I clearly remember coming out of the pit lane in Estoril and this was pre-season I think in uh, 1997 and seeing him head into the first turn with the the rim of the wheel trying to pop its way out of the tyre itself with his right foot completely planted and uh, obviously the barrier on the left hand side of the track being ever closer and I just remember thinking, wow, you know, 
I can't do that. My heart might want to do it, but my head is connected to my right foot and won't allow it. And so I really knew going into that season mm. that that was going to be my last season of driving. Mm. And thereafter, I'd focus on on building and running the team, which I went on to win you know, three championships in wow. that category. Michael, that is a dream interview. I'm so excited that you got to do that and really fantastic conversation. Thanks so much to the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team and of course, Christian for making the time for us. And I have to say, it's so amazing to hear the behind the scenes aspects of F1 and the correlation of how technology and the driver and the team really work together to reach that podium. I think there's a lot of lessons for all of us to learn, even if we're not into the sport itself. Okay, so we are getting towards the end of this week's show, which means it is time for... Mm, 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 mm. You ready, Aubrey? I'm ready. This, this week, week in, in history. history. <laughs> which is a dazzling look at something in the world of business and technology which has changed our lives. What do you have this week, Orbs? The clue for this week was in 1964. There was one machine to do it all. The answer was the mainframe 360 computer, but we've actually decided to change it because something more interesting has popped up. It's happy birthday to the mobile phone. The first recognized call was made by Martin Cooper, considered the father of the cell phone, on a New York City street this week in 1973. The phone, a Motorola Dynatac of Martin's own design, weighed two kilograms or 4.4 pounds. It would be another six years before the first mobile network was launched in Japan. And it was in 1983 that the first commercially available phone was released, which cost the equivalent of over $10,000. Fortunately, in future years, prices and weights have gone down. Connectivity to the net now comes as standard, and thanks to companies like HPE, it's opened up and evolved into the world of edge-based mobile computing we know and love today. So that was a bit of an essay, but really a cool piece of history. And the clue for next week, we are going up, up, and away. Hurrah! That brings us to the end of Technology Now for this week. Next week, we'll be talking all things fintech and the ways in which technology can help ease the pressure on inflation and help experts regulate the economy. So do get your questions in on all things fintech and AI related. A huge thanks to our guest today, Christian Horner. And of course, thank you all so much for joining us. Technology Now is hosted by Aubrey Lovell and me, Michael Bird. And this episode was written by Sam Datapolin and Zoe Anderson with production support from Harry Morton, Alicia Kempson, Alison Paisley, Alex Podmore and Ed Eversden. Technology Now is a Lower Street production for Hewlett Packard Enterprise. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.